Hello and welcome back to From Talent to Performance, where we explore the latest trends and insights in the world of talent. Today, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Miriam Bars, who is an expert in the field of talent management and the future of work. Alongside Team A Method CEO, Mr. Andre Blom, we will be uncovering the future of talent and the trends that are shaping it. Three main themes, hybrid works, talent management, and upskilling and reskilling. The future of talent is a topic of critical importance as it directly impacts the success of organizations and the career prospects of individuals. The landscape of work is constantly evolving and adapting to new technological advancements and changes in the way people work. It is crucial for organizations and employees alike to understand the current trends and challenges in talent management and to prepare for what the future of work may look like. With the increasing shift towards remote and hybrid work, there is a need for new approaches to talent management and upskilling to ensure that organizations and employees are equipped to thrive in this new environment. This conversation will provide valuable insights and guidance on how to prepare for the future of talent and stay ahead of the game. So buckle up and join us as we delve into the exciting world of the future of talent and discover how organizations can thrive in a constantly evolving landscape of work. This is an episode you won't want to miss. How do you feel about joining us today, Dr. Boris and Andre? How it's about a pleasure you? To be here. Yeah. It's, a, it's a nice pleasure to be here and uh, it's nice to talk about this subject. So it's kind of happy to, to join. Yeah, Thank likewise you. for me as I'm, uh, I'm always happy to, uh, to learn from our guests and to express and voice uh, our experience uh, to a broader audience. So I'm thrilled to be here. Amazing. So, Dr. Bars, we are excited to dive into the topic hybrid works, which has been on the rise in the recent years due to the advancements in technology and the need for flexibility in the workplace. Can you tell us about the current trend of hybrid working and the research from Stanford that we discussed yeah. earlier? Yeah, it's, I think it's a very important topic at the moment because hybrid working just started to become uplifted during the corona epidemic um, and before the epidemic it was quite uh, 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 quite difficult to have this uh, hybrid working uh, realized i think that a lot of employees wanted to do this hybrid working but it wasn't uh, they weren't able to because a lot of management uh, offered them the opportunity and uh, during the pandemic it turned out that employees turned out to be much more effective uh, and much more productive than they had even imagined before. And uh, nowadays you see that uh, employees offer the employers and offer a lot of opportunities now for how hybrid working. So I think like 70% of the uh, companies now have introduced uh, hybrid working and most people work like two days uh, a week at home. We work together on um, the same projects and we work together, although we don't meet as often yet. How do you also feel about, you know, being, for example, in a different country and the rest of your team being in a different country? How does that impact the progression of, of your business? How does that impact? The... For my personal experience, I mean, I've been a cosmopolitan uh, and, a, and a digital nomad uh, since for many years already. 
Um, and I really enjoy the benefits of it in terms of, you know, I have the flexibility, I can balance my, my daily agenda. Um, but if I, if I reflect on that and listen to the people that I'm working with, they also say like, wow, you're really disciplined. And apparently this is something that fits me when I do my things. Um, uh, I'm very disciplined. I sit down and I'm concentrated and, and I can, and then I can work in my field, working with partners, uh, all around the world, uh, I also know that as, as long as we have bonded and when we feel that we are socially connected with each other, it's okay to work from a distance. But occasionally, I have to go back because there's also something about this personal relationship you have uh, in order to open up all your senses and to really be partners. And I think this is the biggest challenge that people are facing now is it's nice to be at home if at home uh, or in a cafe gives you the space to to do what you want to do. But people are also lacking a little bit the social cohesion. Um, where do I tap in? Where do I get my answers? And of course, everybody has a certain level of interpersonal skills, how to connect with people and how to communicate. But doing that in a digital, virtual environment, that is something different. So I'm not saying it's not good, but there are some challenges behind it. Um, because do not, do not, do not underestimate that for a lot of people, going to work is also a little bit more of me time. I'm doing the things for myself. I'm. I don't have to be the, the father or the husband or the boyfriend or, you know, it's also giving a little bit me time. So, it is nice, but. Um, um, what I want to say is that if you talk to people, everybody has his own needs on in this, and this is, I think, where the company should should um, be aware of and note that for saying like you're not allowed to work only two days is not a go, or you have to work five days is also also I don't think that that is a go. So if there is a way of giving somebody this personal attention and framework in how we can or she can work. I think it's a, it's a, a great thing. And just think about Holland. Eh? Working at home <laughs> means you're not driving three hours uh, uh, <laughs> commuting, uh, and that is also good for our environment. So that's yeah. very true. I think yeah. I think it also comes with a plethora of risks. I mean, the research from Sanford that I've mentioned earlier showed that seventy percent of companies now have a formal form of hybrid working with most organizations allowing employees to work two days physically at the office and rather the other days at their own discretion, either at the home or office. Can you share your thoughts on this trend and the challenges faced by management and HR during the distribution of office spaces and preventing disproportionate use? I mean, you said, obviously, staying at home gives you a lot more flexibility. However, you know, the risks that come with it as well for employers and from a C-level perspective you know like as executives looking at it how does it exactly tap into the distribution of office spaces and preventing disproportionate use yeah if you think about the office spaces and of course it's a challenge for uh, management to figure out how can we effectively use this office spaces because there are some days like the Monday or the Friday in which uh, mostly people are out. 
And um, when you have this like big fluctuations of uh, people coming in and out, then it, then they can become very uh, how do you call it uh, uncontent, and the, the people start to you know get frustrated because they want to work and they want to work, you know, like being able to concentrate. But if there are a lot of people in in the office space, then it can be difficult for them to get this concentration they need to do that job. So I think that's a big. A challenge for management nowadays to figure out how they can make sure that people there are not too much people uh, in the office but also not too less and what I also consider especially when I talk about talent development I think it's very important to realize that whenever you uh, start working from home then you also miss like the informal contacts which usually lead to learning so yeah. We usually address like going to the, you know, the the machine which makes coffee for you, and then having these small talks with colleagues. And I think it's like everybody knows that these small talks with coffee are usually the 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 moments in which you get this new insights, you get discover new ways of thinking just by small talk with colleagues. So I think a lot of managers I I spoke I've spoken with also. They mentioned that, that they have the feeling that whenever people work quite a lot at home, then they kind of miss this learning curve, which help, uh, which, uh, yeah. And this learning curve uh, starts to uh, become effective when people uh, relate to each other, they see each other, and they have this informal context. Okay. Yeah. And that, that is, I, I think, when you think about how work is um, executed, um, yeah. white collar work. Yeah? I mean, people who are working with data behind the computers. Um, as management, we always like it when people are autonomous. But yeah. being autonomous in your job means something doesn't mean that you are not independent of the others. And I think this peer to peer, like Miriam said, like informal talks or having a question that can be answered instantly. Because if you have a question, and you sit next to your colleague, you might say like, hey, can you look over my shoulder? Can you guide me? Or how would you solve this? But to open up a Teams meeting, or to pick up the phone and to call somebody who is maybe 100 kilometers away living in another town, uh, that, mm-hmm. does, that does not really work. So I do believe that we, by working hybrid, uh, we have to find ways that we can deal with this uh, learning um, and collaborative, uh, collaborative uh, uh, mode of conduct. How do we, how do we go around with that? And I think that should be um, a very strong uh, point of attention for managers who are dealing with hybrid working environment. From what I'm sensing, there is some sort of mixed feelings from a managerial perspective about hybrid working. <laughs> for instance, you would really endorse this flexibility. But at the same time, it would also encourage, you know, like engagement among the employees and among, you know, especially you both as managers, looking at it from a manager's perspective, what I'm saying is that you would like people to feel flexible and feel like they're at home, but you would also like this encouragement and this engagement from employees whenever they show up at work and they ask questions and they interact with their other colleagues and they have the social cohesion, as you mentioned. How do you think companies can put efforts in compensating for the loss of contact, let's say for people who are doing this hybrid work between colleagues, could it be through informal knowledge sharing sessions? 
um, Dr. Boris, you've mentioned lunch and learns and pizza sessions. That was quite interesting too. Yeah, I think see. that's what uh, companies nowadays do a lot of put a lot of effort in because they realize that the informal context they kind of lose them, and they put a lot of effort in yeah in knowledge sharing. I call it knowledge sharing sessions like pizza sessions or lunch and learns and. Uh, well, it helps, and I think especially when people start working a lot from home, they kind of have also developed this feeling that they want to be connected again. So whenever uh, these kind of uh, learnings uh, arrive, you know, they they are showing that they are able to join them, then they will probably join them because they also feel that they need this connection with the colleagues. So understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? Would yeah, you, you could. You but, could. You could definitely see that there is some some uh, movement in that direction. Uh, I've also heard that some companies are saying, like, "Hey, let's uh, create this body system where people are checking in now uh, on regular times with each other, uh, where they're yeah. having uh, peer-to-peer meetings. Uh, they're organizing a lot of things in order to uh, to have this. I would say, like, this feeling of belonging." Yeah. And feel and and to enhance this feeling of your 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 worth. Yeah. Um, and I think they're doing that from a social in, emotional context, instead of just um, you know what are your deliverables and did you manage your uh, timesheets and but that there is a movement in the as far as I'm concerned in the in the better direction. Yeah. I I think checking in on your coworkers in general. Something that needs to be a company standard. It's not about you know just pure formality. I think there also always has to be these boundaries. However, between formal and informal situations, however, checking on your coworkers and employees and the company always sets the scene for higher engagement. As far as I see it, um, the more you allow this freedom of expression about how you're feeling, for example, being a hybrid worker or being on site or being even fully home office, I think that also makes a huge difference in the level of production, you know, like among coworkers and employees. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think that's right. What I also see at the moment is that uh, that's also what research has shown, that whenever uh, workers work a lot from home, like you mentioned, like uh, totally from home, uh, especially when they are younger, they, they kind of, miss the opportunity to, uh, you know, like show themselves to their uh, managers. And it, and that can has uh, can have a disadvantage effect on their growth opportunities. So I, I think that that's what the research shown, that the growth opportunities kind of diminish uh, in, in the way that, yeah, people are not that visible anymore. So they can work maybe pretty hard from, from from home, but the manager doesn't see it and then they are not addressed to us having the opportunity to get a higher function. And that can be quite frustrating for people who work quite, you know, like they work hard, but they are not getting the the, the appreciation of the hard work because they, they don't show it, you know, the, the manager doesn't see it. Would you, would you be with or against tracking systems that allow for example, there are a lot of software tools nowadays that are coming into the light, to the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I think there are so many systems and softwares that allow managers and employees to stay in check, for instance. From what I've 
seen among, you know, like people who work, for instance, in the marketing or they work in other departments, they always have the system where you log in and you tap in a couple of hours. Yeah. You say, I've worked this much and it tracks everything. Although it has that huge data privacy concern. However, would you be, for instance, on that side or would you? No, I would be quite against that because I think when you work with people who are more highly educated, you don't need this, you know, like uh, big brother systems to watch you. <laughs> I think you must rely on the internal motivation of the employees to do their job properly. So, but but it's difficult. I think for managers also difficult if you don't see your employees on a regular basis and uh, then to figure out how they are really achieving, you know, what kind of results are they achieving? So it makes it much more difficult. And maybe it's a question of time that we have to develop new ways to address these issues. But I think that, I think for HR department, this can be quite a challenging uh, situation, I think. What would you both recommend as a solution, as a middle ground solution, you know, between not over tracking and not over, you know, like spectating, your coworkers, however, at the same time, still find the balance because employees want to feel, you know, recognized and they want to feel like that they're heard and seen. But at the same time, employers want to want to make sure that their employees are doing most of their job. And I think that's a very controversial topic at the moment. People yeah. are so trying to figure that out. But what would you, what would be your insight before we move on to the next I, thing? I believe I believe that technology can really be supportive. And yeah. uh, when it's, but when it's driven uh, for the need to control, uh, then I think it's the wrong choice. Um, I mean, we, of course, you know, you have systems when it comes to, um, you know, how do people collaborate? How do people provide each other feedback? How do they communicate with each other? We cannot ignore the technology of social media. Uh, True. But it takes it takes a proper mindset, an individual to know, like you know, what can I do in order to feel connected? Um, how can I use my interpersonal skills and to make sure that I'm part of this community that I can contribute, that I'm that I'm feeling um, that I that I'm really uh, uh, helping my colleagues. Uh, because I truly believe in this interdependency. And for that, I think we need to help people to create that mindset because a lot of people are used to the fact like, you know, as soon as I do something with data, I communicate or I I, I log in because I know that they are checking if I'm logged in. And yeah. I think that's, 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 if that mindset exists, then it doesn't work. Then I should say, like, forget about that technology because it will just give you the not the results that you're hoping for. So really giving it consideration, what kind of technology can we use to make sure that we are fully connected with each other? And what can we do with the data? Is the data there to help me to figure out when to check in? And that is coming back to the fact if you know if somebody is coming into the office and you can see that this person has been crying or is in a rush or you know that it's so easy to say like you know can I help out or how are you doing but how do you do that if you don't meet people uh, true so this kind of informal talk this informal 
um, support that we can provide each other when we meet face to face. Can we replace that completely? I don't think so. Not with artificial intelligence, but technology might help us, but it has to come from the right uh, from the right purpose. Why are we using this system? And then, then I think that technology could make a difference in this uh, field of this transition of hybrid working uh, compared to the old, you have to be present in order to prove that you are valuable. I resonate with that. I really agree with that. I also find that there is a huge difference between the size of the corporation. Like I feel like bigger corporations, regardless whether you're working hybrid or you're working on site, there will always be this level of lack of informality. People, like the amount of complaints I've heard, for instance, about how much people struggle working in a big corporation, you know, consulting companies or for instance, they don't feel hurt. They don't feel like the organizational hierarchy over there doesn't allow them to express or share their opinions sometimes. So I think it's a lot to do with the mindset and the level of the size of the organization more than just, you know, the idea behind it. Like people need to be convinced that, okay, this is a way to go instead of, you know, just hopping on trends, for instance, or listening to what the market really wants, right? I think there's a lot more to it than just, you know, looking at one technology and considering whether you would like to implement it and invest in it or not. It has a lot to do with more than just superficial informal talks, right? And you don't have to get on a psychological deeper level where you, you know, make it like a therapist conversation, like at the end of the day, what you're trying to understand is how you're feeling. And it's a genuine human connection that you're trying to achieve, right? That. Um, exactly. It's just about, you know, tapping in as a human, as a fellow co-worker, just exactly. using your normal, normal human values. Yeah. Exactly. So as we move on to the next theme, we'd like to delve into the research that supports the effectiveness of online learning. And as you can, as you can gather from what the episode has been going on about so far, talent management and hybrid working. The second theme is specifically about talent management. I would really like to hear your insight, both of you, um, about how can we delve into the research that supports the effectiveness of online learning, the types of online learning that are most popular. We will also discuss the impact it has had on employees and employers, the importance of upskilling and reskilling in the current job market. Dr. Boris, can you share with us your thoughts on the trend of online learning? How does it how is it impacting talent management? Yeah, I think that's uh, after the pandemic, uh, the online learning uh, activities have have raised quite high. Uh, so, for instance, uh, people uh, usually uh, employees usually uh, if they 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 put like four times more effort into online learning than before. Uh, and but you also see like governments also put like nine times more effort in online learning than before. Uh, so it's it's quite a rise that has been uh, been effectuated. Um, and what's interesting is that uh, we kind of develop ourselves in this new field of online learning. At first, it was difficult because people didn't really like online learning. They didn't really feel uh, attracted to it because they felt like uh, it's a lonely way of, <laughs> of learning. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
yeah, during the pandemic, they kind of discovered that it can make uh, a difference and it can be and have an added value. So they discovered that you kind of, in an online learning situation, you can also have the feeling as if you're in a real classroom. And uh, that makes a really positive difference, I think. I think the physical aspect will always be lacking when there is online learning. I feel like this accountability, let's say, for example, my experience as a student, whenever there's a class online, I feel way less motivated to just sit in front of a desktop or laptop screen and just, you know, listen to someone teach something. Although there have become, you know, like people have started, you know, like to point out, okay, how can we make this more fun? And the more the screens that the lecturers or the people have in trainings or teaching stuff, you know, the more interesting and people are going to be like, oh, wow, this is interesting. You know, that's so many screens and the content that they share as well, you know, like attention catches and whatnot. But I think when you have people around you sitting next to you, there's this sudden accountability, regardless whether you're sitting through a class or you're sitting through a training or you're even working on something or studying. I think you just feel accountable that you need to focus as well. You lose procrastination, you lose you know, this attention distractions, you just, you know, you're feeling, you're feeling like you need to work as well, just because everyone is working too. I think right. also that when you have this classroom situation, then, uh, I think sometimes we think that when you're being educated or learning that it has to do with the contents, but I think that we realized during the pandemic that it's not about the content, it's about socializing each other and talking about things that uh, are important to you. And uh, I think that's the part you can't grasp with uh, online learning. So this uh, classical situation in which you really feel connected to the other persons is, is really very, very important. Andre, have you experienced situations with online learning? <laughs> yeah. I didn't do any research, so I'm just talking from the stories I've heard. Uh, the experiences I have with my clients. Um, for example, one client said, like, we really have to do something. And they bought this uh, license on LinkedIn where they have a tremendous amount of of training opportunities online. Uh, okay. Well, really nicely framed. Uh, if, you follow, if you go through, it really helps you. But what they are encountering is that although it is available, people are not picking it up. And um, they, this company that they did the research about it, why is it? And then, of course, it is like the time, the pressure on the job is so hard, and I cannot really experiment it, I cannot follow up. So just by offering the online learning, I, I think in general we would say like that is actually not enough. Some people will pick it up, out of their ambition, out of their discipline, maybe because they they have the time, but the mainstream is not picking it up. They're trying it maybe once, they have to retry. Then there's another element uh, in the pandemic, and as I just moved to Portugal uh, three years ago and met a lot of international people who also moved, Duolingo is working. Uh, the technology of Duolingo is apparently that you feel that you are doing something and it almost feels like it is adaptive, that Duolingo is responding to your needs. It is not like that. But, and when people are picking it up, they, 
they bring it into practice because then they go to the cafe and the first thing they ask like boys uh, galaupor uh, and then they get a response so it is it's really they can immediately execute or or bring into practice what they've learned um, so yeah online learning is is good um, when there is a certain need and when there is enough stimuli around it and i think that is also a case in the business we say like everybody needs to develop or we are enabling you to develop or we're facilitating it but what is really driving the people to do that and uh, what kind of stimuli do they get do they get the attention do they get the, the space to experiment and i also think what martin not Miriam says and that is my own reflection if you ask me personally uh, what was the best learning environment for you where you really took up the knowledge or the skills? It was when I was doing it together with others. Um, on the university, of course, a professor could stimulate me and open my eyes to look at different things, but it was a discussion with my fellow students that really, where I could kind of create an agency and, and create my own thoughts uh, when I'm when I'm diving, it's nice that an instructor is saying something. But when I have to do it to execute it together with my buddy going on the water, preparing it, there's where I really learned it. So I think this again, this interdependency with your own peers, having the opportunity to execute it and and to bring it into practice, um, I think that is an essential part of using the technology of online uh, learning. Uh, and luckily, there are men learning management systems really uh, that have that hybrid environment where uh, where there's actually also social media focused on learning, where people are interacting, can ask questions, debate. And I think that is, uh, that is a, a nice development. But again, it is all about doing it together. What do you think people might not be accepting it? As you said, like in your first example, you said people started implementing it, but why do you think people are not accepting it and what could make them start accepting it? I mean, people obviously still have their opinions on different methods of learning and everyone has their own, you know, as we believe in TMA, everyone has their own learning style that is specifically in exclusive for that person so what do you that, think let us look at that, that is one one part you know everybody has his own preference in learning uh, do you want to mm -hmm. bring it straight into practice how much how do you balance theory with uh, with practical information how much do you want to explore yourself um, but also in the context of your, in the phase of your life and I think what this company learned in my first example uh, from an employee survey, uh, it was said like, we don't have enough development opportunities. We are not offered diversity in the learning programs that we have. So the company bought this system and said like, now you have it. Yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> have the content that makes people get excited and be like, oh, I want to sign up yeah. right away. Yeah. And then everybody's saying, okay, that was a question I asked in the survey. Now I have it, but what can I do with it? And what, will it, what is in it for me if I, I follow this one up? And then managers who are 
everybody is on a tight schedule and you know then that we have one or two talks maybe three talks a year maybe an informal how about the e-learning program of linkedin yeah that's very interesting good what are you doing uh, i still have to pick my one okay good and then they run off and at the end of the line six months later nobody's done anything and so creating this this arena where learning and performance comes together i think that is that is something that is not just done because you offer the instruments it is really like creating a dialogue with each other creating this atmosphere this arena where things can take place yeah i think that's that's very important nowadays especially when we talked about this hybrid working and also hybrid learning is that uh it's important that managers create like buddy systems with their co-workers and they put a lot of effort in developing their skills, developing their talents and having this one-to-one conversation in order to do so. I think that that's more important nowadays than it ever was, I think. Yeah. I, you- I remember when I was when I was learning Miriam, Miriam and I had an assignment from school and because I did it with my with my uh, with my friend it gave me an extra boost to do it. I would not postpone my learning because then I would hinder him in his learning. So this kind of it's also creating kind of a an extra responsibility. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But would you both agree that it's the responsibility of the instructors to kind of communicate? Because from what I understand so far is that there is a huge gap in communicating the online learning tools or communicating the online learning content for. The receivers on the other end so the end users of the content itself do you think it's a responsibility for the instructors or the people who are providing these tools to kind of clarify what the goals are and what can you achieve from these tools for instance especially when it comes in the context of talent management well i think what what's uh, especially we talked about hybrid working and about hybrid learning and i think the instructors of this online teaching they have to be aware that they have to develop a hybrid form as well, like being like for a small time online and then giving their students or the employees the opportunity to do something by e-learning and then come together as a group and do a whole day of trading. And then also we're, again, also we're a small online learning session. Look, you know, like to have different ways of learning uh, instead of only one way. I think... 100 percent online learning is devastating for your motivation but if you combine it with online meetings combine it with uh, classical meetings combine it with other things which are different from 100 percent online learning i think then it can be great yeah can you share i would and and i would add to miriam also include the other stakeholders what i see in the business is if i go to a, a normal protocol there is a dialogue between a manager and an employee. They decide on a certain kind of development. Then they go to HR. HR has a like a library of all kinds of possibilities. They choose something. And then what happens then? The, the individual is sent out. Maybe he has fellow students, but the stakeholders in his job who can benefit from this learning are not engaged. Okay. So, so many times you hear that the candidate is coming back, even from a course. How was the course? Yeah, the 
the lunch was great and I had a great time and I've learned something. Are there managers then sitting down with the employee and saying, what did you learn? How can we make sure that you really internalize and have a continuous development on your skills? I, I remember how you talked in the beginning uh, about the, the significance of you know being consistent and it's an ongoing process. It's an infinite game, right? Learning and development. And involving the other stakeholders, I think, is also a very important part. There are many types of online learning that are most popular right now, such as management tra training, Lean Six Sigma, and remote leadership. What are your thoughts on these formats, let's say, and how have they impacted employees and employers as it you know it allows more task-oriented learning time targeted instruction and quicker access to the subject ma subject matter but when it comes to talent management do you think they could you know help with upskilling and reskilling or would they be a waste of time you know especially that there is no follow-up on the type of content that has been Not offered yeah i think what we saw in the research is that uh the trainers you mentioned like the the management trainings or the Lean Six Sigma, they, these kind of trainings were a lot of asked by managers during uh, pandemic time. Uh, and what we see now is that these issues still are very uh, much uh, addressed. But we also see that uh, what we talked before is that uh, the, the way of learning is more like a hybrid form of learning, like more online and offline at the same time or, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah. I think what what's important. What? I'm sorry. Go on. Okay. And uh, what we also see as a development, which is important nowadays, is that uh, companies are kind of their total working pool diminished. Like I think in a couple of years, every company kind of has this. Uh, structural uh, refit in terms of the less employees, like a quarter of uh, the total working pool. And at the same time, you see this development that they, the working pool has to develop themselves in ICT skills. So they have to become more digitalized. And I think that's a big challenge for managers and HR to have this realized, which is quite something we together have to work on. Uh, especially because the, the labor market is also difficult nowadays. So moving on to our next theme, can you give us like a brief overview about the device, um upskilling and reskilling? Yeah, what, what we see is that what uh, organizations nowadays need is that uh, employees are being skilled in, in, in very, you know, like a fast pace in terms of their uh, ICT skills. So um, yeah. a lot of employees need to uh, figure out new ICT systems. They have to maybe sometimes have to uh, work together with ICT persons to have their job uh, changed. Uh, and that's a big challenge nowadays for companies, I think, because not especially when we work with older employees, they sometimes have difficulty in this new ICT systems. and. Yeah, by online learning, you can't al cannot always help them with this. So, when I look at, you know, I have a kind of an idea, and I don't have a glass bowl where I can 
predict the future. Um, but this is this is a little bit the idea that I have uh, around uh, the future workforce. Um, that's coming to the fact that you know robotics, automation, and particularly artificial intelligence. I mean, if you see now the growth and the uh, the the dynamics around this, i.e., uh, on the on the net, you know, I, I I was even shocked. I typed in TMA method, my own company, and this IE produced a better description of my company than I could do myself. And within a minute, it it is it is crazy, right? And then I said, oh, I'm not really. I do not really want this kind of language. Do you have an alternative? You push the button and you get an alternative, really like a storyline. And I mean, it's amazing. So I'm thinking like, okay, what does this mean for the people on communication, on marketing? Um, I'm working uh, uh, with the Ministry of Defense and you know they're also struggling you know, with all the technology. Do we need the still pilots on an F-16 or can we do it with drones? So if you think about, you know, what is the future of work and, you know, the, 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 the reports of the World Economic Forum, they predict that a lot of jobs that we know now are completely vanished or obsolete within, within the time frame of 20 to 30 years. So if I look at the future, then I think like, you know, the workforce is going to be a lot of technology. But I think we also need, and maybe it's the same word again, a hybrid worker. A worker who can work with IT data uh, in all kinds of forms and al- creating algorithms, programming, but also just on, on an application form and on applying form. So we need a hybrid people, but I also believe we still need people's work. Um, and I'm sure that at some point science will be able to make a scan of your brains and your heart and then we you get a psychological profile with a therapy around it. But I believe that we still need service people uh, and handcraft people like carpenters. And, you know, the I know that's also maybe a little bit buzzy, but, you know, the creative people. So how do we manage or actually stimulate people to have a perspective on their own social economic position in the future, also for their children? What do we need to do? We need to, the evolution of things are going so rapidly. So how do we make sure that we stay in sync or calibrate at least at certain times with what's going on in the world and what can I do as an individual to make sure that I have position? Because if I do that, then I'm the role model for my children. So this is what I think. Long life learning is so important so important to deal with all, all all the things that are going on and that brings it back to talent management um, you know do people really understand where their uniqueness is lying uh, based on the talents and how they can utilize that or at least use their own talents for their own future in creating the right skills and developing the right skills. And then you have the, what I call micro and macro learning. Micro is for me like instant. I need to weld uh, a piece of iron, then I need a welding machine, I need the iron, and I need the guidance that I can 
actually practice it. But when it comes to this, straightforward. But when it comes to the service, this is what I call macro, where you learn to become a nurse, where there are many elements in, you know, how do we relate to people? How can we be having the coaching ability to guide the patients in his track to become uh, healthy again? So and that is what I call macro. And that is a dynamic that has to, you can continuously develop that because every time there's new technology that maybe help you to be a better service provider in the job you're doing. Psychologists, nurses, doctors, but all kinds of other services too, right? So true. for me, long life learning is, I think, essential. And let's step in on the tenants of people so that they learn something that is really fitting them. That will create, I think, a general welfare. And now I'm preaching too much, I think. <laughs> no, no, it's it's interesting that you mentioned AI and, you know, like the use case behind AI. I mean, there's been a lot of talks about it. I mean, it's the most discussed topic nowadays, especially when it comes to upskilling and reselling. I read a quote actually the other day that was a little bit funny because so many people are scared that they're going to be replaced by AI, for example, or they're going to be replaced by te- technology, like you said, in a few years. So many jobs are going to be diminished. People won't be needed that much because if you can train a technology or you can train a robot to do a job that someone does it for a certain amount of money and you're saving yourself so much cost and so much effort, right? And especially when we discussed at the very beginning when you talked about how the social cohesion is important and how people need to tap in onto each other. Even though we're being distant from each other and that's lacking, people might find an even stronger motivation to implement you know, technology into the corporation, which is Obviously, there are different perspectives on that. There's, you know, like the pessimistic view where people are like, oh, that's the end of, you know, like human evolution. And, you know, like people are heading towards more robotics and machine learning. But at the same time, the way I see it is that AI will not necessarily replace you. A person who uses or knows how to use AI is going to replace you. People who adapt, people who learn this technology, learn how it works and adds it to its side you know it becomes its your its own personal assistant it becomes its own helper i think that boosts productivity and it would definitely you know boost so many industries especially you know like industries such as marketing and trainings and you know like because it also excludes so much of the human error it really diminishes human error and i feel like and mm-hmm. you, you definitely have a point there, Yasun. Um, but my question is also, and maybe the whole theme of today was hybrid, hybrid working, hybrid learning, mm-hmm. and now we're talking about a hybrid workforce. And yeah. when you look at AI, I'm, I'm, I'm from old school. Uh, when I was, when I'm digesting information, I want to know the source because I want to know if it's valid. I don't tap everything from from the Google search engine because you never know where it's valid, right? So you need yeah. to go to the source. What is the source of it, of of the IA? And I think we need a hybrid person. That is what I meant. The person who understands that and give you the give you the insights. Like you know, this is solid information. It's well researched. It's not just curated from the net because it, it was popular language. Um, so. We should not rely too much on, we sh- as humans, we should still have the power to question 
the data. Uh, critical thinking we, skills. Critical thinking skills. Uh, we need this tested knowledge in order to understand the data, but also to use it. And I think that Miriam will definitely have her perspective on that too, coming from a scientific point of view, right? No, I agree with you. That is important that you have to, especially considering AI, it's important to be critical thinking about how it works and what are the back, the back, the backdrops of it, because yeah. it can also create a lot of damage. That's what you've seen. Yeah. And of yeah. course, it can also enlighten you a little bit in giving information that you would not consider, but now it becomes interesting to check out. But this... To make it valid, we need we need our human skills. I think I think that is uh, really important. I think what we tend to forget is that we think that we have to develop ourselves ICT skills. But uh, when you look at the research, they kind of mention that social skills become more and more important nowadays, and that in order because a lot of ICT skills they kind of uh, you know take over your job. But what, what's still there and that can be automated is the social skills, the contact with people, the empathy kind of stuff. That's not nothing a computer can do. And uh, we will see in, in a couple of years, I think, that those social skills become more and more important because that are, is the added value of the workforce nowadays. Yeah. I read an interesting article. Uh, probably, you know, the acronym, the WUCA world. Mm-hmm. And there's now also another one, and I think there's some are popping up. And this is called the Benny world, where everything is brittle, where there's not insecurity, but it is more like an anxiety. Um, every nothing is is linear anymore; all is non-linear and many interpretations. Anyway, but to counterattack or to counter fight this 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 environment. It was basically only human skills to face the anxiety of people. We need empathy. We need to dare on our intuition. Uh, we need to socialize with each other and unite each other. Um, and I found that a really interesting article uh, because if you look at talent management, it also says like, how do you tick and what are your needs uh, and use your talents in order to connect with people. We are social organisms we we need each other we are independent of each other um, and and i think that is the way that we can really uh, bring talent management to his uh, to his best using the human skills bringing humanity back into the business that is true i mean at the end of the day no matter how much ai develops although there are fears about you know ai becoming autonomous and ai becoming you know, acting on its own and placing human skills, especially also with that part of empathy, because, you know, like artificial social, artificial emotional intelligence is also a controversial topic, is that the CEO of OpenAI went on an interview the other day and he brought it up. He said, worst case scenario is that lights off for all of us. And people made so much out of that because they were a bit afraid. People still are accepting the whole idea behind AI, right? But looking at the data, the areas of ICT skills that will be in high demand in the coming years, such as data science, big data, cloud computing, robotization, and artificial intelligence. What are your thoughts on the impact that technological advancements, I mean, can people 
read this information and these facts and change the course of their studies, change the course of their career focus, they say, okay, these ICT skills are required. And they use already the existing tools such as AI, for instance. They use it in their favor to develop themselves in that regard. Do you think people would be avoiding these trends or they would be more inclined to hop on them and use the current existing technological advancements in their favor to kind of develop themselves further. So again, back to upskilling and reskilling in that yeah. sense. I think it probably depends on their talents. If you're uh, good in ICT skills, then you probably develop those skills very, uh, you know, like fluently. <laughs> but uh, I think that people who are, have more talent skills in terms of empathy and social skills, they probably will develop themselves here earlier on in, in these uh, topics, I think. And that is true, but isn't it true, Miriam, that it also needs an environment? Yeah, yeah. And if we focus too much on guiding our people into the IT direction, um, I think as a, as companies we would should we should really think about you know how do we balance this? And if I look at the younger generations. Um, and I, I don't want to stigmatize, but but just I think in general we could say that the younger generations who are digital natives, uh, they had the environment to develop their skills. Even if I look at my seven-year-old daughter, she's smarter on the iPad than I am, and and, and I'm not even, you know, I think I'm I'm pretty okay on the IT level. Uh, so the environment is also important. So my question would be to companies. You know, how do you balance? What is your business? How much I would are you willing to depend on the IT? And are people serving the IT or is the IT serving the people? Um, and of course, automation can help us to have more time to use our human skills. So my question would be, again, what kind of environment are we creating for people to develop their, let's call it human, human skills instead of the IT skills. Because if we don't create the environment, it will not happen. I mean, for the listeners of this podcast, how important it is for employees developing the skills that are needed to remain competitive in the job market, you know? Just like everyone that is not in the IT department, they're also scared that at some point, they won't be needed anymore. So how do they remain competitive in that sense? Yeah, I think uh, you realize, I, I recently heard that there was this uh, banking company uh, who trained their employees, like HR employees, in doing a bad news conversation by a robot. And it turned out that this robot was very good at doing this kind of bad news conversation because it doesn't have any empathy <laughs> so, but uh, yeah it showed i think yeah. maybe in the future it can happen that the robot also takes over this kind of you know social skills maybe from hr yeah. people i have no idea what the future will be like with regard to that but i think it's difficult to really understand the future all this topic i think but would you have a recommendation on how would you remain in the competitive job market? I mean, people are looking more and more for people who, you know, like are more informed about these things. Yeah. Right. 
Like when people do job postings, they don't go looking for someone who is, I mean, of course it depends on their talents and the job requirement for sure. Well, I, 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 uh, in the, in the, what would you recommend? But what I really like from the, well, I did like 20 years of research in people or in organization with regard to talent development. And uh, one of the organizations which I really liked was this uh, ICT company, uh, Topdesk, and they didn't, you know, like select people, new employees on their skills or on their diplomas, but they uh, selected on their learning eagerness. And I think that will be like something very much for the future for companies to do so, not really focus on diplomas because it doesn't really, usually it's not that important, the diplomas, but it's more important if people are willing and they have the drive to keep learning. And, and that's much more of a skill which is important nowadays than it was like 30 years ago, I think. I think it's coming back, Jason, as far as I'm concerned, how to stay competitive. Um, I do understand that sometimes you know, the dynamics in your personal life will not always allow you to be completely focused on yourself and your personal development. But I think people have to understand that if I take a break on my personal development, it means that I am uh, falling behind. And then it takes a bigger effort to calibrate in what the market needs and you can actually if I can make that comparison that and with due respect but if you look at uh, our learning system in general um, and the, the phrase that Miriam diplomas are not so important anymore not the paper you know what does the paper say that I finished a, uh, a a master 30 years ago am I still actual in all my data and all my knowledge all my skills and can I apply it I have no idea but the diploma is there uh, I'm not saying that it is not valuable because it says something about, you know, from what field that, that you gain some talent, some knowledge. Um, but if you look at the schooling system now, students are going to uh, to do their gymnasium and then, just as an example, and go to the university because they want to become a vet. But the moment they come to the market, um, the industry of um, medication and 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 uh, becoming a doctor for animals as the technology has taken place there's new information actually already a little bit outdated so where is your practice so i think the combination of making sure that you that you develop your knowledge your cognitive level but also making sure that you develop the competencies that are in the field that uh, are, are there then you have a uh, a more sustainable uh, future perspective, I think. Uh, and again, but it, it, to be competitive, it means like, and I fully agree with Miriam, uh, it's about your learning willingness and your learning ability that gives you um, that gives you that edge. I think there needs to be credit towards you, and I think it's important to highlight the efforts of employers. That are making they are making to provide upskilling and reskilling activities to their employees. Like people aren't giving up on people just easily. And I don't think it's a pessimistic overview or outlook right now in the market. People are like the seven with seventy percent of employers indicating that they will be providing these activities between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty five. 
it's actually rather impressive. People don't want to give up on their talents already, right? Like even with the, the technological advancements, people still care about their people. They still care. They still believe that talent and human efforts would pay off regardless whether there's a technological tap-in or not. So I think that's important to highlight. And I would like to ask you about your strategies. Um, the organizations do you think could be using to ensure their employees have the necessary skills for the future and the role of upskilling and reskilling and adapting technological advancements. So from your perspective, how could they still maintain and retain the talent yet allow them to adapt to where we're heading towards. I think there has to be like this constant demand for learning. And in order to realize this, you have to change your HR uh, system in terms of conversations with your employees. And uh, what we usually did like uh, one or two times a year, we have this HR kind of conversation, like how are you doing your job and... Uh, need extra reward for it. Uh, but I think you have to do these conversations more on a regular basis, like every week or every two weeks, uh, just a really uh, an ins a deeper conversation about what's your talent, how are you developing your talents, what kind of uh, challenging tasks can you add to your function. And I think I see a lot of companies in my research who are starting developing this kind of developmental culture, I think, in the workplace by having this uh, conversations on a regular basis and quite often instead of on a regular basis, like once a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I was triggered uh, by uh, the book of uh, Miriam where she said, like, organizations uh, cannot longer provide a job security. But what they can do is they can provide a development security. Um, and wow. yes, I think this continuous dialogue is, I think, very important, not only between the manager and the individual, but as a team, as a community, create that arena where, um, performance and development goes hand in hand. And it is still striking me quite a lot, uh, that in our day-to-day, -day, um, activities, we have organized everything, but one thing is what we don't do, is that we train as a team. Um, we always appraise people on their individual performance or on their individual um, um, learning uh, accomplishments. Uh, but if you really want to have uh, a good value in the organization, we should do it as a team. And... In sports, you see it all the time. Uh, highly professional athletes are training and training and training to execute on critical moments to their utmost. And sometimes they even fail on that. They learn from it, and they fall, they stand up, and they do it again. And in, and in business, um, we never train with each other. If we have a team event, then it's probably a barbecue. <laughs> Uh, are we going through the scenarios where people are getting new perspectives and, and new new channels? I think that is, I think, a very important uh, thing. And I was really triggered, Miriam. Thank you for that because I'm using that phrase quite a lot now when I'm going into the business. Uh, what do you offer uh, when it comes to uh, 
what is your value proposition on, for your employees? Uh, and then they say a good salary and learning developments. Okay. So you give a learning guarantee. So I, I'm starting to use that. And that is for a lot of people. It's really an eye opener. I think, uh, and I, I'm very grateful for that, uh, for that quote. From you. That's, that's, that's all great. I definitely agree with you, Andre and Dr. Boris about everything that you just said about the, you know, like how can employers tap in into the developing market? And I would really like to encourage the listeners to take an active role in developing their skills and ask them to constantly ask themselves, where can I offer added value? And how can I continue to offer this in an environment in which, you know, ICT plays an increasingly important role? I would also like to encourage them to take advantage of the opportunities provided by their employers, right? for upskilling and reskilling and the resources available on the internet to enhance their skills. Because I think as soon as you start giving up on developing yourself and as soon as you start giving up on, you know, I don't want to say fitting in, I hate the word fitting in, but as soon as you stop looking at the environment around you, you're just stuck in your own bubble, then the less relevant you'll become, right? And people would require less from you over time. So with that being said, I would like to thank you both actually for your time today. Um, it was really, really insightful, very helpful as well. I'm sure for our listeners, I personally have benefited a lot from talking to you and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast would feel the same way. Would you like to offer any last advice from your own perspective to the listeners, especially based on everything that we've talked about, the three themes and also from your own personal insight for like a final what we takeaway. discovered was this uh, like hybrid working, hybrid learning kind of stuff and it's important to nowadays to make sure that you have like uh, a lot of regular conversations with your employees about their talents and how they might be developed especially regarding the ICT challenges which are ahead of us. Yeah, and my my biggest advice would be like, uh, take it up. It's not only um, the obligation or the responsibility of a manager, but we should do that as a community. Um, We should not wait only for HR, but provide them the information. Really start to work in collaboration. with your environment um, and accept that we are independent of each other. We cannot do anything without uh, somebody else. And I think that is um, that is what we can do if we put our shoulders under the world. We can make it a great world. Wonderfully said. Thank you both for your time today. Very much appreciated. And I encourage you to also join us on future episodes. Hopefully we'll have more insightful discussions on from talent to performance. And I would like to thank you once again for your time and your very insightful expert help. And looking forward to hearing back from you soon. Thank you, Yasun. Thank you, Miriam. Your, your work is really inspirational for me. Thank you. It's nice for you. Thank you very much. And also interesting by your 
different ways of talking about the subject. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Perfect. Okay. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about the future of talent, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and never miss a beat. Also, feel free to share this episode with your friends and colleagues who may be interested in this topic. Your support helps us continue to bring you valuable insights and knowledge from industry experts like Dr. Boris. Until next time, stay informed and keep moving forward in the ever-evolving world of talent management.